The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So over the last weeks in this session, we've been exploring the teachings from the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta. And uh, in, ex in exploring that, going into kind of detail, there's a lot of instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta that often we don't necessarily speak about um, in, in the depth of that the, the teachings connect to it in, in the sutta. In the foundation of the body, mindfulness of the body, there are six exercises that are pointed to. And we've talked about four in this, in this, in this uh, class. The, we've so far talked about mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of body postures, mindfulness of daily activities, and the elements practice. And all of these are a kind of an encouragement, at least the way they're taught now in the West, um, you know, there possibly were some different ways they were taught at the time of the Buddha. Um, um, but the way they're taught at this point, these are the encouragements to be um, aware of the experience in the present moment, aware while breathing. That one's pretty clear in the suttas uh, that, that that's the instruction establishing mindfulness with the breathing process. Then the uh, awareness of bodily postures, aware, aware while standing, sitting, walking, lying down. And again, that, that I think in this case, there's, there's less of a, of a sense of um, pointing to some particular aspect of experience, but more than knowing, knowing you're walking while you're walking, sitting and knowing that you're sitting. That simple instruction that Munindra points to. Standing and knowing that you're standing, lying down and knowing that you're lying down. So the, the just general encouragement to be aware and to cultivate a continuity of mindfulness. And this deepens in the um, awareness of daily activities from the postures to a little, a little more specific um, actions, reaching and bending, going and coming, speaking, remaining silent, and particular activities that you might do, eating, um, urinating, defecating, a whole range of activities are explicitly mentioned. Again, I think a, a sense of encouraging a continuity throughout the day, throughout everything that you're doing, a continuity of being aware, being present in the present moment. With the elements practice, which we talked about, I think last time uh, we met, this, in the way it's taught these days, and certainly in the, um, the commentaries, it's explored as a kind of um, direct experience of, of the sensation level of experience in the body. The elements, the, the language in the sutta says, one is aware in this body, there is earth element, fire element, water element, air element. Um, and the Visuddhimagga points to specific sensations that are connected with those with those elements, hardness, uh, density, 
for earth element, moisture, liquidity, fluidity for water element, movement, vibration, tingling, pulsing for air element, and uh, temperature, heat, and coolness for fire element. Um, there's also some possibility that um, it was a little bit more of a kind of a, of a reflection practice in a way, and to just kind of reflect that this body is composed of the same elements as the world. You know, that there's not a difference between the physical body here and what's, what's out there in the world to kind of, you know, almost equalize or uh, remind oneself, you know, that this body is actually formed from the same components. So it's not special in a particular way. So it, it can be also understood as, uh, as reflection. Um, and I think in, in some ways, the, two, the last two that are remaining, um, the uh, anatomical parts, the contemplation on the parts of the body and the death contemplation, both of those, at least uh, in my experience of working with them, and I've only done a little bit of this in both cases, um, has been more of, a, of that kind of reflection. So I think in the, in the foundation of the body, and talk, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about these, these last two today, about how they're supportive perhaps for some. Um, there's definitely um, pointings in the suttas themselves that uh, have some caution around the use of these, uh, these practices. They're not for everyone, and that's fine. They don't have to be for everyone. But I think that overall, the first thing that the, the foundation of the body is pointing to is first being here and then to become kind of aware of um, different, um, of the kind of habitual perspectives we hold about the body, somehow that it's special, that it's different, different from everything else in the world, perhaps, um, that... Uh, and, and also the contemplations are also encouraged not only for our own selves, but for others. And so kind of breaking down this, this um, contemplation of the body begins to break down the barriers, um, thinking that we're somehow different from others as well. So, you know, the, the, the body's aware that this is a body that's composed of parts, that's moving through space, that's conditioned, all of these... Um, uh, reflections are kind of encouraged in the in the in the foundation of the body. So these um, these last two, I think the the anatomical parts, the last two pieces of the foundation of body, um, the anatomical parts, the the kind of subtitle that the commentaries gave this is asuba, which basically is literally translated as something like unbeautiful. And that gives you a sense of, um, um, you know, the perspective that at least the commentaries laid on this, this aspect of experience, the, the kind of assumption that we take our bodies to be beautiful and uh, bodies in general to be beautiful. And that, that uh, and, you know, kind of to bring in a reflection that the body is just composed of parts you know, it's got hair, it's got, you've got head hairs and body hairs, and it's got skin and teeth and nails and, and flesh and bones and, 
the connectors, the, the sinews, it's got, you know, the organs. So just a kind of a reflection on the various parts of the body. And when we think about each of those individually, you know, do we consider that beautiful? You know, do we consider the, you know, if we, and, and there's one, one um, encouragement in the Visuddhi Manga that said, you know, for, for instance, the hair, taking some hair off your head and putting it in front of you, is that, you know, is that beautiful? Well, it's just hair when it's cut off your head and it's just sitting there. It's, yeah, it's just hair. So, you know, you don't necessarily think of it when it's not connected to the body as being beautiful. And so the, you know, kind of a, a kind of a, a looking at, where does this idea of beauty come from? Um, but I think that the, the overall sense, because, um, you know, there may be different trends perhaps in, in, uh, in different cultures at different times that, um, you know, the, in this, in this uh, labeling of this as a contemplation of the unbeautiful, to me that betrays that, people of the time tended to perhaps think of bodies as beautiful. And, you know, there are certainly in our culture, in the Western American culture, at least, there's particular perspectives about bodies as beautiful, but it's a, it's a kind of a narrow definition in some ways of what a beautiful body is. And um, many of us have a sense that our bodies are not beautiful. And so, uh, you know, to, it, it's like, I think that this, that this um, form of contemplating the body can be used to correct either perspective, you know, to, to kind of like take, take the, the idea of comparison out of body, which is, I think, a lot where the sense of a body being beautiful or not being beautiful comes from this is from comparison and when we just look at or think about okay take the hair off our heads and put it in a bowl it's like well it's just hair from there it's hair from there it's neither beautiful or unbeautiful it's just hair there's one place um in the in one of the suttas that says that if you're contemplating the body in this way, just thinking of it as various parts, um, there's a, um, a quote that says, how, how, except through lack of understanding, could one praise or disparage oneself or another because of the body? You know, in doing this kind of contemplation, it's just body. And so that... Uh, I think points to the underlying movement of this particular contemplation. I was um, doing this just a little bit in the um, in the guided meditation, and for me, you know, just. I mean, afterwards, when I was silent, I was just playing with this because I've been reading about it. And so the, the words came to my mind. And I think this is, this is a kind of a reflective practice in my understanding. So I, I want to stop for a moment and talk about what reflective practice is. We've talked about that before, but just as a kind of a, a clarification, let's say. Um, 
direct awareness practices are are opening to just what's here you know what's the sensation level of experience uh what's the actual experience in the moment with reflection we actually bring in a concept and orient our um experience our uh, our um our um awareness around a concept and so the language of this sutta I'll read a little piece of it. It says one reviews this body from the soles of the feet up from the soles of the feet and down from the top. In this body there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bone, bone marrow, etc. So just kind of it it uses this language reviews and um has this list in the um in the visuddhi maga the instructions for this tell you first of all to memorize the list and to um do a verbal recitation first and then a mental recitation and so using thought actually so this is to me this is bringing in reflection to help us to recognize that this is this is the components of the body So it's uh it's using thought to help us to have a different perspective on what the body is. Joseph has this uh this great um story. He said at one point he was I think he had a a, a procedure uh, where they put a camera inside his body and he could be aware, uh, awake and they invited him to watch the video while he was uh aware and he chose to do that. um i never choose to do that <laughs> i'll just you know let myself not watch um but in any case he chose to do that and he said he was fascinated while watching this and looking inside of his body and and he says yeah it's like you know i that doesn't look like me that's the inside of my body you know that's that's the inside of of my body he said but i like when i just look at myself all wrapped up in skin looking in the mirror it's like yep that's me and so you know so this bringing this reflection in can help us to you know, have a different perspective you know, look at where what is the concept that we're overlaying on our body to kind of to kind of recognize that we do overlay concepts onto our body and it's it's often in those concepts where we would attribute beautiful or unbeautiful you know uh, praise or or disparage uh oneself because of body based on concept based on ideas some some ideal of what we think a body should be there are um warnings let's say in the suttas there's one story of when the buddha taught this practice to a group of of monks um and then the buddha went off for a a a a long retreat during this time so he taught the monks this practice and then on, went off for a long retreat and during that time um people he, he people uh about half the people i understand about half the the monks who were doing this practice killed themselves and uh when the buddha came out there's this kind of poignant story and he you know he kind of comes out of his meditation after 
after these months of being in seclusion. And he asks Ananda, he says, what's happened to the, to the Sangha? It has become so sparse. And Ananda says, well, you know, in practicing the uh, body parts practice, half of them killed themselves. And he said, maybe it would be a good idea to teach them mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> so that there's this kind of, um, you know, recognition, actually. I think this is a, a very touching story of kind of the humanity of the Buddha, you know, that, uh, you know, he, he taught this practice and um, seemed to be not, uh, not so clear or aware that it, it might have a, an unfortunate effect. Now, the suttas, uh, or the commentaries actually kind of um, say, uh, they say that the, those, they would have killed themselves anyway because, you know, the commentaries have this vested interest in a way in not having the Buddha make mistakes in his teaching. Uh, but to me, this points to, you know, uh, I have actually more confidence in the transmission of the teachings when I hear things like this. You know, when I hear, I have more confidence that the, the teachings have been recorded kind of more accurately in some way. Um, and so to me, this, this does kind of point to not all practices are, are appropriate for all people. I think that's the lesson of this of this story. Not all practices are appropriate for all people. This practice is not intended to create aversion. And so the, the, a good um, kind of thing to check into if you choose to explore this, you know, if aversion arises, this is not a practice for this time. You know, can, it, can it be, um, you know, more um, you know, just kind of curious and uh, just, just um, like when I was doing it before, it, it, it actually, I did it, I didn't do the whole list. I did just what I could remember down to bones because that, that part I can remember pretty easily. It goes from outer to inner, head hairs, body hairs, uh, nails, skin, uh, teeth, flesh, sinews, bones, kind of outer to inner. And, you know, I, I just using it as a reflection, to me, it just kind of created a sense of, of, of balance of, of, yeah, that's what this body is. It's, it's just a body. And so that's, I think, the, the intention. And the, there's a, there's a, a little um, analogy offered with this contemplation. I'll read this to you, too. Um, because to me, this brings in exactly the perspective that is pointed to for the contemplation. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice. A man with good eyes, if, if a man with good eyes were to open it and review it, this is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice. So too, one reviews this same body as full of many kinds of parts. In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, etc. 
so that analogy is just like a bag of beans, a bag of, you know, a bag of uh, beans and rice, basically. When you're looking at a bag of beans and rice, there's not going to be either a sense of it's beautiful or unbeautiful necessarily. There may be concepts around, I like this kind of rice, I don't like that kind of rice, or, or you know, so there, there can be that. But it, it tends to be a little less, um, you know, it's just, this is just a bag of rice and beans. And the, the fact that he says, you know, there's an opening on both ends, you know, this is like, this is the body. We have openings on two ends of the body and it's full of food. You know, that's what the body is. It's been created by eating rice and beans, basically. And so I, I really appreciate that analogy as a, as a, as a kind of a pointer to the, the mind state that might be possible in this kind of a review. And I would, I would suggest being cautious about this. The, the story in the suttas actually, I think, asks us to be cautious about using this particular contemplation and be careful if there is aversion. Maybe not the practice for you. Then the, um, the last contemplation is the death contemplation. And this one really is encouraging us to remember that we are mortal. Uh, the, the whole emphasis on this contemplation is to remember our mortality. The contemplation in the Satipatthana Sutta is reviewing a corpse in decay. And again, this is a, is, it's either intended to be a, a practice where you actually go sit at the charnel ground um, uh, in the, the time of the Buddha, they apparently had charnel grounds, big pits where bodies were thrown, where you could actually see the bodies in decay. Watch the animals come and, you know, pull the bodies apart and see them over the course of days, weeks, months, shift into, you know, different stages of decay. And yet the, the, uh, the sutta, the text says something like, as if you were, I'll read that too. As though one were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, one, two, three days dead, um, bloated, livid with oozing matter, one compares this same body with that. This body, too, is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. So the, the main contemplation is, again, that this is just the nature of a body. When the body dies, this is what happens to it. And it's, um, you know, a, again, a little bit of a corrective towards our kind of habitual sense that, or habitual um, denial of the truth of our mortality, to, to keep this in mind. Um, so the, the, the kind of the, the reflection is, this body too is of the same nature. Again, this isn't intended to create aversion or de depression. And in my experience with working with death contemplation, um, and I've done some, I've done some of it, um, we had one class where we had actual photos 
that we looked at that could help us um, kind of envision what happens to a body. Um, I've been to an anatomy lab where I've seen the corpses, the corpses. Um, so done, I've done a little bit of this. And, you know, the, there, is, there is some revulsion. I experienced some revulsion in seeing that. And yet the corrective of, yes, this is, you know, this is the body. In, in the, the large, in the, uh, the overall, the overarching effect that this kind of contemplation has had on me is not aversion or depression, but rather a kind of um, appreciation for the uh, preciousness of life right now. It, it in fact has created a kind of a delight and joy in the, the being alive, knowing that that is what will happen someday. So again, it's useful to check into what is the effect that it has on you. If it's tending towards aversion or depression, probably not the contemplation for you. For me, it really has been, um, you know, when I contemplate it, it, it brings inspiration. It's like this, this is that there is this kind of preciousness an inspiration to practice a kind of the, the sense of, yeah, I don't know how long I'm going to have. And it's kind of got an, an inspiration to live skillfully. I remember uh, one time I was washing my dishes and I was experiencing a little bit of some kind of annoyance or uh, irritation about something. I can't remember what at this point. Um, but in that moment, the contemplation of death arose. I think I, I had been contemplating it at that time. And so it kind of naturally arose. It arose with that kind of, um, you know, the mind state that was kind of grinchy. And this contemplation of, you know, this could be your last few moments. And the reflection was, is this how you want to spend your last few moments? And very quickly, that irritation just fell away. So that, that it can have an effect in the moment when it arises in the moment. This kind of inspiration towards a more skillful kind of life, towards the release of greed, aversion, and delusion. There are, in fact, some simpler forms of death contemplations that are offered in the suttas. And this is more the kind of death contemplation that I have done, I've done more of than the, the corpse and decay kind of contemplation. But there's several that are offered. Um, one is this the simple reflection that the Buddha offers, the, the five subjects of frequent recollection, which is essentially reflections on impermanence and the conditions and nature of experience. Um, I'm of the nature to age, I am of the nature to sicken, I am of the nature to die. Now, those are the first three of the five subjects. And the, it, we're encouraged to ref, frequently reflect on this, remind ourselves regularly of the impermanent aging, 
uh, nature of our body, the, the fact that it's of the nature to sicken, of the nature to die, again, as a corrective for that kind of amazing uh, delusion that we have that even seeing death all around us, even seeing people get sick, even seeing people lose their houses in the fires, we think, this isn't going to happen to me. Now, maybe this is um, in this time of coronavirus, in this time with all of these things happening, it's like stunning <laughs> to me this year, uh, how supportive this has been for me in terms of the reflection. It's keeping it alive for me, this reflection on, yes, you know, this house, who knows, this house might burn down too. You know, I, I'm just waiting for the earthquake. You know, it's like we've, <laughs> we've had just about everything else here. You know, it's like the, the earthquake could be next. So, and it could happen in any moment. So how do we want to live our lives? Um, so this just simple reflection, I am of the nature to die, a simpler version of this contemplation. Um, elsewhere, the, the, um, the Buddha is asking some of his followers how they practice death contemplation. And um, uh, several, they're, they're talking, it's interesting to me, this one, because they're speaking about contemplating death in connection with how long do I have to practice the Buddhist teachings? So the death contemplation is phrased something like, might I live just a night and a day so that I can attend to the Buddha's teachings? And they say, that's how I practice death contemplation. So it's just a kind of a reminder, a remembrance that we don't have forever to, uh, to engage in being aware of our experience and contemplating our, um, our bodies and minds in this way freeing our minds from unskillful, uh, unskillful um, mind states. And so there's, there's a set of these, you know, six different, six different um, people offer six different things. And um, they all phrase it in this way. Might I live just a day and a night so I can attend to the Buddhist teaching? Might I live just a day? so that I could attend to the Buddha's teaching? Might I live the t length of time to eat an alms meal so that I can attend to the Buddha's teaching? These times getting successively shorter. Might I live the length of time to chew and swallow four or five bites of food? Might I live for the single mouthful of food? Might I live for a single breath? to cultivate and contemplate the Buddha's teachings. So the Buddha, in hearing this, he said, um, the first four people are cultivating mindfulness of death sluggishly. That they're, that, that the, you know, that the might I live a day and a night, it's like that's not keeping the uh, contemplation alive enough. But he says that the contemplation of might I live for this single mouthful of food, might I live for a breath so that I can practice the teachings. So this to me is bringing, you know, kind of holding this reflection or 
keeping this alive in every moment. That's the encouragement of that teaching for death contemplation. If you're practicing death contemplation, it's, assen- it's essentially having that reflection in mind every breath. I can only do this for short stretches of time myself. <laughs> you know, I forget. I forget. But it doesn't depress me when I do it. In fact, in one of these, um, I don't have the note about which one. It is. Oh, here it is. There's another, another, um, another contemplation that says, when you go to bed, you should reflect. You might not live through the night. Are there any unskillful um, things in the mind right now? And to uh, practice to release those, if noticing their unskillful habits of mind operating. And likewise, when you wake up, you know, reflecting that uh, I, I might not live through the day, are there any unskillful states of mind? And this one the Buddha brings in, many of you have probably heard of the analogy of practice like your hair's on fire. This is where that analogy comes from. We could die at any time. It's like, you know, if, if, we, really, if we really had this understanding the the analogy is you know if someone um if someone's hair were on fire they would be trying to put it out immediately they would not be lax or sluggish about that he says in the same way if we are aware that we might die at any moment we would not practice sluggishly So those are some reflections on those aspects of mindfulness of the body. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts about this? Um, how does this land for you? And uh, you know, this, is, this is not something we, we teach a lot of. There's certain teachers that, that do teach these practices. There are a couple of teachers. Um, Bob Stahl and Richard Shankman both teach these practices. So if you're interested, I, I would encourage, you know, that they've got some courses and some um, retreats that they offer on these. Um, Bhante Buddha Rikita teaches a death contemplation that's very like the metta contemplation, actually. It starts with, with self and reflecting, I am of the nature to die, and then brings in uh, a dear person, um, a neutral person. They too are of the nature to die. So just kind of uh, bringing that as a, as a death contemplation in. So... Um, you know, if you're interested, I would encourage, probably it's useful, you can play with it a little yourself and see if there's ways in which the contemplation supports you. Um, and yet it could be useful to, um, to have some support too uh, in this kind of a contemplation. So I'm curious, what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Olga. So... My sitting group, we did about, I don't know, several months of study with um, <clears throat> Analio's practice book, his, the second book he did about the Satipatthana, which is uh, Four Foundations. And he was, it was much more, much less uh, theoretical 
and much more practical. I'm sorry for the background noise. I'm outdoors. I got trucks going by. Um, and uh, that book is, is really useful. Uh, and he goes through all of this. And to accompany that book, you can get online um, his guided meditations that go with the book. And he goes through everything you've just um, discussed. And um, I kind of did adopt his, um, his meditations around the uh, skin, flesh, and bones, the body scans, and also um, the elements. And I, I do them very regularly and have, and have found that actually they've become something of a, of a concentration practice for mm. me, especially at the beginning of a sit when I can sort of collect the mind around a body scan that looks at skin, flesh, bones, and then earth element water element, air element, fire element. And uh, those, those talks can be found online pretty easily. Um, and he has a very sort of interesting way of doing guided meditation. Uh, but I would say that primarily I, my, one of my goals, if you want to call it that, has been sort of to... Um, Disidentify, well, not disidentify, but identify less with the body as my body to see its generic nature. And, and um, so I would just say anybody who is interested in just doing their own thing and can find these guided meditations online. If you, I think if you just, you know, Google Analio and, um, uh, you know, four foundations of mindfulness guided meditations, they will be there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for pointing to that. Yeah. I've, I'm aware of the, the um, practices that he does and it's, he does it, he does it. It seems to be, he starts once you get familiar with them, then you use them to kind of focus and settle the mind just as you're doing. Um, and I think it can be as exactly as you say, you know, what you say, it kind of helps the mind to recognize it's just a body. It's not, my body, it's just a body. And I think that, as I said, that's probably the overarching theme of the first foundation <laughs> is to come to that, to come to that recognition. Yeah. Thank you. Other comments or reflections on this? Um, I guess you're not seeing me because I'm... No, I'm seeing you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm seeing you. Um, so if, if I recognize that it's just a body, if I recognize that I may have one or two breaths left in, this, in the body, why would I care about the body? Why would I take care of it? 
So I think there's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, there is the understanding that we could die at any time. And yet, we also could not die at any time. And so there's this interesting balance of recognizing, yes, there is a kind of a preciousness to this moment that I don't know, you know, how do I want to spend this moment if it is my last moment? And yet, also the recognition of it may not be my last moment. And so what, you know, needing to take care of ourselves. Um, yeah, I think, I think um, we have to, we can't just come in to this moment And I think, I th- you know, it's interesting. I think when we do come into this moment, there is a way, certain, so, sometimes when I'm in deep meditation, this moment is all there is, and there's not much of a sense of the future. Um, but in daily life, even coming into this moment, what's here in this moment is not only this breath but also thoughts about the past, thoughts about the future, understood when I'm practicing well, when the mind is clear, understood as thoughts, not as the actual reality, but understood as thoughts and understood as what might be skillful to do if I do have time left. So, you know, so I think that the point of the coming into this moment, do I, you know, if I only have this, moment left is um, the now this is interesting I think for some minds if you haven't understood the the teaching so, certain minds might think well if I've only got a day left why not go wild you know <laughs> um, but if you are paying attention to what's happening in your system like myself when I noticed that that grinchiness was happening while I was washing my dishes. There was nobody in the house at the time. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter in terms of other people around me, but my own experience of, is this how I want my last moment to be? You know, and the answer was so clearly no. So, you know, it's like the, the practice itself guides us in the direction the more we practice, the more we explore being present with our experience, the more we understand those um, arisings of greed, aversion, and delusion as painful in this moment, the more the system does not, is not interested in having those around. And so when we come into this moment, recognizing, yeah, there's this, you know, irritation or this aversion or this greed happening right now and this might be my last moment the system just understands this is not helpful this is this is not this is not the direction that this mind actually wants to be doing if this is my last moment so some of it i think is a little bit of a of a trust and a development of the mind in the practice. Um, So explore for yourself, you know, what happens if you think about this is my last breath. What happens? You know, how do you want to spend your last breath? Do you want to be with people you love? Do you want to be out getting drunk? 
you know, what happens? That's, that's I think, part of the reflection. Thank you. It, it, you. You've shifted my thinking more. What you said shifted my thinking more to what I recall Jerry Jampolsky once saying over and over again, now is the only time there is. Yes. Yes. So it's time to stop.